holiday weekend, and that is good news for a church that is growing. Can we be excited about what it is God is doing in the back of a restaurant here in Tampa while we wait for our permanent home uh, to, to be ready? There is nothing like singing this reminder that there's another in the fire as we wait and sort of wade through hard seasons in our lives. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. I just want to ask you a question, a couple questions to get started with this morning. Who are you? Who are you? Why are you here? Why are you here? And what is it specifically that you have to offer this vast and broken world? What is it that God wants to do through you for this broken and hurting world? Who are you? Why are you here? And what is it? What is it that God wants to do through you for this vast and broken world? All of us struggle with identity, right? Every single one of us can, can name some time in our lives when we didn't, when someone asked us, who are you? We didn't really have the answer to that question, right? I don't know. Everything just is falling apart. Why are you here? I'm not really sure. I'm just going through the motions right now. What is it that you have to offer a vast and broken world? And many of you in this room will say, I have nothing left to give. We all struggle with our identity, with our purpose, what it is we're here for. We all struggle with that. But this morning, I want us to think about this. That, that in those moments where we do begin to claim or cling to our, our meaning, our purpose, our significance, you know those moments when you're like, I think that's why I'm here. I think this is what God wants me to do. This is who I am. This is why I've in those moments where we cling tightly to our identity and our purpose and what it is God has us here offering the world, what happens so often? A, a, a harsh word somebody says and it makes you start to question, am I really doing what's right? Somebody sabotages what it is that you're doing, right? Some, in some way, the significance, the identity, the purpose that you have so tightly claimed for, but clung to, it just inch by inch gets whittled away by a harsh and broken world. Does anybody know, does anybody know what that feels like? This morning, this morning I'm going to talk about what happens when we know, when we have this sense, God's created me to do this in this broken world, but in some moment a harsh word, some un unforgivable act, something like literally puts us under some kind of attack as we try to really live into our identity. What is it that we do? How do we stand up? How do we stand up for what is right in a world where sometimes we're shaky about who it is we are, why it is we're here, and what it is we're supposed to do anyway? How do we stand up for what's right? And I think we have to, I think we have to be really honest with ourselves that there's two kinds of people in the world, okay? There's kinds of people in the world. First of all are those that when something happens, when you see somebody beginning to sort of claim their identity and you watch somebody bully them, when somebody at work does something that's unethical or that they're not supposed to do, when something in our world happens and people are oppressed or hurt and we feel this like in our gut, like we got to do something, like I've got to do something about this, but we just can't quite find the courage to stand up and do what is right. How, like what do we do? And I think there's two kinds of people in the world and this is why this message may me nervous, okay? Because I, won't, I don't want you to 
to feel shame about being in either of these groups, but I also don't want you to feel this overabundance of righteousness about being in either of these groups either, okay? So there's two, there's two, kinds, of ident- there's two kinds of people in the world. There are those who, when something is wrong, the first group is they are unwilling to confront. Like, bring on the popcorn, I'm going to sit back and watch how things unfold, right? You have some worksheets in your uh, chairs. The first thing is unwilling to confront. So the first group of people is unwilling to confront. You sit back and you're not, they are going to say anything. You are not going to stand up because you, that's just not who you are, right? I, I, I know some people like this uh, who are just absolutely unwilling to confront when something is going on in the world, you, you sit back, right? You're quiet. You don't say a whole lot. And listen, I don't want you to feel shame about being in this group. We're going to talk about some root causes, how we can start to root this out of our lives, how God wants to root it out of our lives. But we, first, we've got to realize who we are. Are you unwilling to confront when things are wrong or unjust in our world? Are you a person who's unwilling to confront things when it's wrong? The second group of people... The second group of people, and this is the one I want us to be really careful with, is they unlovingly confront. Okay, this is the one I want us to be really careful with because these folks are going to hear this message and y'all are going to go into work on Tuesday and you're going to like just raised voice, guns blazing, ready to go and take care of things and make everything right, right? This is the group who who doesn't matter who they have to hurt. It doesn't matter how other people like experience the way they're, they're coming across to confront. These people unlovingly confront when something is wrong. And everybody in the room doesn't feel uncomfortable because we're, we're seeking what is right and we need a new way, but they, they're like, that is not the way to handle that, okay? Does anybody know these kinds of people? I can fall, you know, the red hair come, sometimes puts me in group number two. I'm just being honest. So there's two kinds of people, unwilling to confront or the kind who unlovingly confront. And so it, it, this is going to be your, your inclination during this message this morning is some of you are going to feel shame because you've not stood up for what's right. That's in the past. There's another in the fire who's forgiven you and has already like released you from that. So, so we're going to let that go. If you're in the unwilling to confront, just go ahead and let that go. If you are in the unlovingly confront, you're like, that's me. People can't stand to see me coming because I'm going to like just like all out, fix everything with me. I want you to know, I want you to know there's a different way to handle this with humility. And we're going to look at that. We're going to look at that too. Let's, let's look at some root causes while we're either unwillingly we're unwilling to confront or unlovingly confront. Both of these, either way, either group that you're in, both of these have some root causes. The first thing is we want control. So you're unwilling, that's a slide. Um, so the first one is, um, is control. You want control in your, in your life. So that's why you sit back and don't confront things when they're wrong, right? I, I, I know what's going to happen if I don't, con- if I don't confront this. Whatever's, it's just going to keep playing out the way it is, and I don't have to have any part of it. Or, right, the people who unlovingly confront absolutely need to control the outcome of the situation. So the root cause of unwilling to confront or unlovingly confront is control. The second root cause is fear. Is fear. You are scared to death of the unknown. Scared to death of the unknown. If I stand up to this, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. If I don't fix this and make it all right, I might have to step into some unknown situation or category. The root cause for the second one is fear. And the third uh, root cause for this is loss of focus. It's a loss of focus. So you've, you've, 
if you've lost that compassion, that compelling, like, I have to do something, you've lost that sense of who you are, why you're here, and what it is God wants to offer to a vast and broken world through you. You've lost focus on what it is that compels you to do the right thing, to stand up for the right thing. I want us to read, um, uh, we're going to read a story, we're in the... um, We're in the book of Daniel. It's a story about uh, the Israelites were living in Israel. It's a small little place. They, you know, they just kept doing things wrong, and they they weren't doing the things God told them to, and it made them weak and susceptible to, like, war and things coming in and, and destroying the country, okay? And so King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. Last week I said every time I say his name, y'all should boo. He's just a bad, terrible guy. Like, he's just awful. Power, power, money, money, greed, greed. He's like an awful guy, right? So there's King Nebuchadnezzar. He comes in, tears up this teeny tiny little Israel, takes these people into exile, and he takes the best and the brightest guys of Israel, and he puts them in his, like, special place, and he trains them up to be, like, the best Babylonians. So he takes the smartest, best-looking, strongest guys, puts them in a room, and he's like, I'm going to train you to be the best Babylonians. And I have to do that by helping you forget who you are, Okay, this is, this is what the world does to us sometimes when they need us to, to start going into to what they want. The first thing they do is they help you forget who you are, why you're here, and what it is that God wants to do through you. So some of you are like, I just can't quite get that. I want you to know that we live in a world that wants you to forget those things because it doesn't want you standing up for what is right. It doesn't want you standing up for what is right. And so... You, you hold on to, clear, uh, to control. You can't deal with the fear, so you keep living life like you are. And then there's a loss of focus. Let's, li- let's listen to what these three guys, their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can y'all say that? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So there's these three guys. Let's read about them. King Nebuchadnezzar, boo, right? Bad, greedy, money-hungry, terrible guy. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. So it's about 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So he, like, put it front and center in Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he'd set up. So all the people who are leaders in Babylon are supposed to come and see this thing that he has set up. So all these guys, all these important people come. They assemble for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before this image. Then... The herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. So these people that they've taken from Israel and they've put them in to this country, he said, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down where you are and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown in to the blazing furnace. Do you hear this? Lack of focus, right? How do we get you off kilter so you're not focused on the God who, who you want? I'm going I'm to 
play on your fear. Do you hear that? This is what rulers, this is what things in the world do for us. I'm going to play on your fear. I'm going to throw you in a blazing furnace, and you're going to lose all control of your life. Let's keep going and see what happens. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language would fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward, and they denounced the Jews, these Israelites who were living in Babylon. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. <laughs> okay, so they're like, you're the greatest. We don't, we don't want to boo you. We think you're awesome. Uh, there's going to be this redhead and rights that's going to boo you in a thousand years. That's not us. We think you're awesome. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. We've heard you say this to people, right? But there are some Jews, King Nebuchadnezzar, you man who likes greed and power and all these awful things, that, and you'll do anything that you need to. There are some Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Those strong, good-looking, awesome guys that you're trying to train in to be in the best Babylonians, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they pay no attention to you. You're doing a terrible job leading them, King Nebuchadnezzar, your majesty. They'll neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you've set up. They're defying you. They're not doing what you asked. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I've set up? Are you really doing this? When you hear the sound of, of the music, you are, are you not ready to fall down and worship the image that I made? I made it good. If you don't worship it, I'm going to throw you immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God? Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? When you stand up for what is right, when you don't lose your focus, when control and having all the control over your life, and when fear isn't dominating your life, someone's going to look at you, and they're going to try to convince you that you're alone, and they're going to say to you, who is going to rescue you? You're going to be out there all by yourself with nothing to do. If you're hearing this and you're, you're scared and you're nervous and you're anxious about it because you, you feel this being whispered to you in certain areas of your life, keep listening. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they reply to him when he says, no one's going to come to rescue you. You're going to be all alone and scared to death. He says, we, they looked at him and they said, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. This is not our battle. We're not fighting this. He says, keep going, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Did you hear that? No one's going to save you. No one likes you. No one thinks you're good at anything, and they're like, mm-mm, we're not listening to this. We know the God. We know the God who's called us, who told us who we are, who's told us why we're here and who tells us we have something to offer to this vast and broken world. He's going to deliver us from our majesty's hands. But even if he doesn't, listen to this, even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we're not going to serve your gods, and we're not going to worship the image of gold that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious 
with them and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated up seven times hotter than usual. And it was not a cold day in Babylon that day, okay? And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his armies to tie him up, tie Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, their trousers, their turbans, and other clothes, were bound, and they were thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent, and the furnace was so hot, that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the furnace. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. And then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, and asked his advisors. So King Nebuchadnezzar seen them thrown in here, and he says, weren't there three men that we threw into the fire? He said, wasn't there three? And they replied, yes, your majesty. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three of them. Then listen to what happens. He said, look, I see four men walking in the fire. How many, guys? Four. How many did he throw in? Three. How many did he see in there? Four. Unbound and unharmed, and the fourth, looks like a son of the gods. There's another in the fire. There was another in the fire. Keep going. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Nebuchadnezzar, this awful guy who like thinks gold and power and all this awesome stuff is the only, only thing that there is. He says, of the Most High God, come out, come here. I'm changing. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the, all the royal officials crowded around him. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes weren't scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Is there one more? Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands, and they were willing to give up their own lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. They kept their focus. There's one more verse, right? Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against this god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego should be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. Still, he's not quite there yet, y'all. All right, we got to work on this guy just a little bit. For no other god can save in this way. The truth is, do you hear this? The truth is that I tried to tell you you were alone and no one would come to your rescue, but I'm telling you, I've seen with my own eyes, there's no one. There's no one who's alone. There's always someone else in the fire. And they promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So I just really quick, I want you to, if you're ready to stand up for something going on in your life, if you're ready to stand up at work for the right thing at the right place at the right time, if you're ready to stand up for the oppression and all the things that are going on in our world, if you're ready to stand up for what is right, then the first thing you got to do is trust God. What are those guys? So the root cause of, un, of not confronting things is fear. I, I mean, it's control. But where, where does he put his trust? Where does Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego put their trust? In God. And even if he doesn't save me, I'm still going after him. He's still going to be the God I worship and fall to. I'm going to trust God with my future. So some of you are like, I don't, I don't even know how to, how to start to do that. I'm going to just offer a suggestion. Every morning when you get up, before your feet hit the, hit the floor out of the bed, just pray, God, I trust my life to you this morning. One simple word. 
One simple sentence. God, I trust my life to you this morning because we live in a vast and broken world. And I'm telling you, when we pray, when we offer our lives to God, first thing in the morning, God, I trust you. It will set the day in a different direction. Trust God. They didn't worship the gold first Guys, the first thing they did was pray and trust God. So, so don't worry about control. You don't have to think about how, how can I get my kids to sleep? How can I get everybody to school? How am I going to get to work? How is everything going to get done today? They're not worried about control in their lives. People who stand up for what is right, trust God first thing in the morning. Trust God. The second thing is add some courage on that. In the place of fear, add courage. Okay? In the place of fear, what does it look like to claim the promise that you are not alone? What does it look like to say in this broken and hurting world, I am not going to listen to the, to the untruths, to the lies of the culture. I'm going to instead choose courage. I am. I am important. God has made me for a purpose on purpose. Start to cling to that courage. And then the third thing is focus. Did y'all see when, when, they try, when the king tried to get them unfocused, right? We start living our lives frazzled and, 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 and no, like just all kinds, it's in all kinds of pieces. But to stand up for what is right, you got to focus. You got to focus on God and God's restoration in the world. They knew that focusing on this gold statue in the middle of somewhere was not, it was not going to bring them the focus, the restoration of, of the Babylonian people, of the Israelite people. There's not, that thing couldn't offer restoration. Instead, they focused on the restoration of God. So to stand, we trust God, we have courage, and we focus, and that helps us to stand up for what is right. It, this weekend, that, that's an X. Thanks. Stand up for what's right. All right, this weekend is Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. And I, you just can't help, tomorrow's his birthday, and I, I can't help but, like, this sermon series was planned months ago, and we had stand up for what is right to be this day. And I just, every Sunday um, before his birthday, before Martin Luther King's birthday on Monday, I sit down and read the letter from a Birmingham jail. He wrote that letter in jail to pastors, to white moderate pastors. I'm pretty much the definition of a white moderate. So I read that letter every Sunday before I come in to worship um, on Martin Luther King Sunday. And that's probably why I'm a bit frazzled this morning because he, he just says, like, there's nothing more dangerous than people who aren't standing up for what is right at the right time, in the right place, for the right thing. And so I just, I want to share just a, sort of an example from his life. He was a pastor in a Baptist church. I grew up Baptist, so I have some affinity with Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, but he, he just had a real sense to which he could not do the work of freeing black people for, he just couldn't do that work without it being grounded in the justice and love of God. So I just want to share some things he said about, um, about praying. Uh, about courage and prayer. So I, I ask you in the mornings when you get up to trust God, to just get up and say, God, I trust my life to you this morning. MLK says this about trusting God in prayer. He says it's not overcoming God's reluctance. Because I'm sure there were moments when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wanted to say, God, save us from the fiery furnace before they throw us in, right? I'm sure that was a question. I bet there are moments and battles in your own life where you're like, just make the battle go away, God, right? Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of God's willingness, is what MLK Jr. said. 
It's not saying take the battle away from me. It's not saying remove it. Prayer is about saying, God, I trust you in this. I'm going to believe that you're going to save me and rescue me. It's about losing control and giving it to the one who needs it and can rescue us and save us anyway. Courage, if you want a good definition of courage, that second step in standing up for what's right, MLK defines courage as this inner resolution to go forward despite obstacles. Every single one of you can tell me three obstacles why you're not standing up for what's right in the right way, at the right time, at the right place. Every single person in here can say, I'm retired, I'm a busy mom, I work full time, I, I, don't, I, can't, I can't stand up for what is right. It's an inner resolution. It's this like living in your gut and your, your, your soul. You cannot do anything but go forward for the goodness and restoration of God despite all obstacles. And when you add courage and and trust in God and focus and you stand up for what is right, this is what he says about standing up for what's right. The time is always right. The time is always right to do what is right. The time is always right to do what is right. I know Right now, in this moment, everybody here knows something in the world that's broken and shattered and needs God's healing and restoration. There is no better time than right now to stand up for what is right. I went to a Shabbat service at Sherazedic with uh, the Jewish community on Friday night, and the uh, rabbi there asked some leaders in the African-American community. Uh, the NAACP leader, president was there, and he said, what can we do? The rabbi said, what can we do in our homes to, to help get rid of the racism and the hate and the, the, the just evil that exists in our worlds? What can we, we've talked about what we can do in the synagogue. We've talked about what we can do in Christian churches. We've talked about what we can do in the community and the schools. What can we do in our homes? And everyone there, like honestly, I'll be really honest, they had a hard time, they had a hard time listening, uh, listing what, what would do, what they would do. But the, at the end, the woman said, Martin Luther King Jr. is known for saying the time is always right to do what is right. Just try to start doing one thing. What does it look like for you to get up in the morning and hold the hands of your, of your family and pray together? God, we trust you. With this day, Chris has been praying with, with David on the way to school, and it's like completely changed his day and David's day on their way to school. God, we trust you to help us do what is right today. What does it look like? What does it look like for you to start standing up for what is right? To, to, to step out of being unwilling to confront and to step out of being unlovingly confronting others. What does it look like for you today to do one thing, to take a step, in the direction of standing up for what is right. I need to just end this way to this, this morning, and, and that is you're not going to have the courage to stand up for these battles. You're not going to have the courage to stand up for what is right if you don't know and trust your life to Jesus, who ultimately stood up for what was right in the face of the most evil and worst things that you could ever, ever see. He went to a cross because of it, because of a government, because of people who, who thought it would be better if, he, if no one kept standing up for what is right. And he defeated all of those things. He defeated all of those things to stand up for what is right, to bring and usher in his kingdom. And then he trusts me and you. Those hands sitting in those chairs, those feet hitting this floor right here, those hearts beating in your chest, he trusts those. 
to build his kingdom that is about all people experiencing love and equality and justice and goodness. You are not a waste. You are not a waste. And there is always and will always be someone else in the battle. You are never alone. You will never fight a battle alone. When you stand up for what is right, there is always someone else in it with you. Will you pray with me this morning? God, I thank you so much for every person in this room who you created on purpose, for a purpose. I pray, God, this morning that that those who've never trusted their whole life to you, God, that this morning they'll let go of all control and just trust you with their life. We thank you for the people who already have. For those who need an extra dose of your courage, we pray like Elijah prayed over Elijah, and we pray for a double dose of courage for the people in this room, God. We pray that all the distractions of the world would, would, would go, grow quiet and that they would be able to focus on you, and that in this room, in this room, you would help these folks in this shaky and broken world, God, stand up for what is right. Amen. If y'all will stand on your feet, we're going to sing together another in the fire really quick before we have communion this morning. Just sing this chorus out like you mean it.